الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له قل اللهم مالك الملك تؤتي الملك من تشاء وتنزع الملك ممن تشاء وتعز من تشاء وتذل من تشاء بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن سيدنا وأولنا ومولانا وولي أمرنا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبد الله ورسوله وصفي الله وخليله ما آتاكم الرسول فخذوه وما نهاكم عنه فانتهوا وما كان لمؤمن ولا مؤمنة إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا أن يكون لهم الخيرة من أمرهم ومن يعص الله ورسوله فقد ضل ضلالا بعيدا من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له أما بعد Dear committed Muslims This is the time of year when Muslims with sincerity with devotion with pure hearts begin to trek towards Mecca and Al Medina to perform one of the most important obligations in a lifetime and that is Al Hajj in about two weeks the, uh, the culmination of that Hajj will be Eid Al-Adha but to understand the meanings of the Hajj the understanding of what we are doing I submit to you is by and large absent To understand this Hajj, we'd have to take a look at a number of ayat in our book of, of guidance. And I will select a few of them. And I will begin by saying that if you don't understand Prophet Ibrahim, you don't understand Prophet Muhammad and if you don't understand them you don't understand the Hajj it all began with the patriarch of prophets Ibrahim alayhi salam an ayah in the Quran says Allah is telling Ibrahim Inni ja'iluka linnasi imama Qala wa min dhurriyati Qala la yanalu ahdi al-zalimin This ayah or this sentence is saying and bear in mind Allah 
saying to Ibrahim, I am designating you to be a leader of the people. Ibrahim answered, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِي And from my offspring, my progeny, Allah answered him, لَا يَنَالُ عَهْدِ الظَّالِمِينَ My pledge does not include a ظَالِمِينَ Who is Ibrahim? To understand Muhammad, we have to understand Ibrahim. To understand Al-Muhammad, we have to understand Al-Ibrahim. So first, who is Ibrahim? Obviously, every one of you knows. Ibrahim was one of the most challenged prophets of Allah. And one of the most determined prophets of Allah. From the five that are called Ulul Azmi Minar Rusul. The most challenged and the most determined. Everyone knows this. But there are gaps. How does this relate to the Hajj? How does this relate to Al-Ibrahim? How does this relate to the Prophet? How does this relate to us? Ibrahim alayhi salatu wassalam. Just like all prophets needs a society to communicate his divine responsibility and message too. But you know that Ibrahim was expelled from his own community and his own society. He had, in today's language, he had an argument with his father or his uncle. That argument resulted in the high class of his society deciding we're going to get rid of you we're going to get rid of him so they made the decision they're going to throw him into the fire that's how serious the difference was between Ibrahim and his own people his own culture his own linguistic group his own nationality his own race And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved him from the consequences of that. They lit the fire and then they threw Ibrahim into it. And Allah says, Ya narukuni bardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim. O fire, become a source of coolness and tranquility to Ibrahim the fire didn't work but the result of all of that was Ibrahim had to leave we are told Ibrahim's geographical birthplace is in what is today called northern Iraq so now Ibrahim was expelled from northern Iraq he was sent out by force from his own people but he's a he's a messenger of Allah and a messenger of Allah needs a people you know in, when you read in the Quran the messengers speak to their people and they say ya qawmi my people Ibrahim could not say ya qawmi he had no people so what happens here you're a messenger and a prophet from Allah you have a responsibility and a mission. But you need a community and a society and he doesn't have it. So history tells us he journeyed into today's areas. They're called Palestine, the Levant, Egypt, and the Arabian Peninsula. These are the areas that he went to. And when you're born in one part of the world, in one society, and you leave and you go to another part of the world and another society, 
You are considered, in today's language, these are the words that are used today, you're considered a foreigner, or an alien, or an illegitimate, you know, it's in today's political vocabulary. So, Ibrahim spent most of his life, this is a prophet, and he has a message to explain to people but he's spending most of his life and there's no people to explain it to this is a very difficult position to be in but finally as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have it Allah chose for him a particular isolated and desolate area in the Arabian Peninsula he took his only son his elder son Ismail who was a baby at that time and his wife Hajar and he settled them on the sands of Arabia it wasn't a village, it wasn't a city, it wasn't an urban center, it was nothing. But it was a place that Ibrahim السلام, could call home. Now Ibrahim had a home and he had a homeland. So in the first instance, Mecca was constructed and meant to be a home and a homeland for those who don't have a home and for those who don't have a country that's how mecca came into existence and ibrahim leaves his son his baby son there and his wife to return to them later on. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala favors him with another son, Ishaq, the half-brother of Ismail, both of whom are Allah's prophet to carry onwards the responsibility of Ibrahim. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Ibrahim, Inni ja'iluka linnasi imama, you know the words of the Quran are carefully selected and they demand our close attention. The wording didn't say, Inni ja'iluka lil muslimina imama. It did not say, Inni ja'iluka lil mu'minina imama. It said, Inni ja'iluka linnasi imama. You are to become the leader, a leader of the people. And people means everyone, regardless of their religion, of their race, of their language, of their color, of their social status. It means everyone. In the course of leaving his son, infant son, and wife there, one of the details is that his son, Ismail, was beginning to die because there was no water, there was no nourishment around. And he began to kick with his feet on the sand while his mother was running between two places trying to find something by which she could feed or nourish her own baby. And out of the deserts of, of Arabia, water gushed forward, forth. That's called the well of Zamzam, Bi'r Zamzam. This 
well is the well of survival. It was meant for the survival of those who are dying from thirst and from hunger. And when we go to the Hajj, it's not only mothers who are running between As-Safa and Al-Marwa, it's not only women, we also as men, fathers, brothers, sons, whoever, we also run jog between the seven times between As-Safa and Marwa. How many, when they are doing this, how many in their minds realize that when they are running like this, they are running for the purpose of trying to save lives. Just like Hajar was trying to save the life of her baby son, everyone who's running between these two places should know that I am exerting an effort to save a life. If it's not my immediate son, then it's the son of my neighbor. If it's not the son or daughter of my neighbor, it's the son or daughter of my friend or my acquaintance or someone in my society or someone in my world. But how many entertain that responsibility when they are going back and forth between As-Safa and Al-Marwa? How many? That's why we say the meanings of the Hajj, even though the physical responsibilities are done, the bodies are going back and forth. But the duties, the obligations that come from this act are not embedded in our conscience. Inni the ayah, inni ja'iluka linnasi imama. And from my descendants, Now, it's very important. You see, most Muslims read the Quran without capturing the essential meanings that they are reading. In the Quran, there are three words that in the average Muslim mind, they all mean the same thing, and they don't. But in the average mind, that's what it is. Dhurriya, this progeny, is a Quranic word. Ibn and Bani, or Banu, is also a Quranic word. Banu Israel, Bani Israel, Banu Adam, Bani Adam. These are Quranic words. And then another word in the Quran is Al. Al Yaqub, Al Ibrahim, Al Muhammad. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon them and theirs. These are Quranic words. Now, when Ibrahim said, listen to the word that Ibrahim chose. Ibrahim said, when Allah said, I am appointing you as a leader of mankind. Inni ja'iluka linnasi imama. Ibrahim requested Allah. Wamin dhurriyati. He did not say min abna'i. He did not say min ali. That's the ayah in the Quran. You go read it and understand it. He said, it's a, it's um, an innocent request. Obviously. And why is it innocent? And why is it important? Remember, Ibrahim did not have people. He did have, not have a community. He didn't have a society. He waited all his life. And finally, Allah gave him Ismail and Ishaq. This Ismail and Ishaq were his community and his society. So he wanted from his immediate family, he wanted an extension of that to become 
a larger society, a larger community. So he innocently said, وَمِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِي Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered, لَا يَنَالُ عَهْدِ الظَّالِمِينَ My pledge does not extend to ظَالِمِينَ it's a polite way of saying to Ibrahim, not all of your progeny, not all of your descendants are going to qualify. Now, in today's world, we have those who consider themselves the extension of Ibrahim. We have those who are called Bani Israel. They, they say that they are the birth line of Ibrahim alayhi salam. They are related to him because they were born in his pool of genes, so to speak. This is a fact of life. So what we have in today's world, Banu Israel. On the other hand, in today's world, we have those that say they belong to Al-Muhammad. And these words are at, in the political and ideological and military world of today, they are at conflicting positions. Banu Israel and Al-Muhammad are at conflicting positions even though both of them trace themselves all the way back to Ibrahim. But one of them, Banu Israel, they trace themselves to Ibrahim by race and by ethnicity. And those who identify with Al-Muhammad should, I don't know whether they do that, it's up, for, uh, up to them to think about themselves. They attribute or identify themselves with Ibrahim, not on the basis of genetics or race or color or ethnicity, but on the basis of character morals and values and divine standards regardless of race color ethnicity language etc there's these two positions that are playing out in the real world today both of these whether in an accurate way or less than accurate way, they say that we are the extension of Ibrahim. One of them is the extension via the birth channel, Bani Israel. The other one is the extension of Ibrahim by conduct, by behavior, by moral standards, and by principles. That's how we belong to Ibrahim and Ali Ibrahim. When we go to the Hajj, if Mecca, Ibrahim is leader of people, and Mecca was meant to be for the homeless, those who don't have, there are people in this world, millions, tens of millions, who are refugees, who are stateless, who are fourth and fifth class citizens. They're all over the world and probably in the hundreds of millions. If we understood Ibrahim and if we understood Mecca and if we understood our history, they belong in Mecca. There's nothing whatsoever, there's nothing that says Mecca should be off limits to anyone in the world. The only ayah in the Quran that prohibits anyone from approaching Al-Bayt Al-Haram are Al-Mushrikun. And shirk is not a theological description. 
as much as it is an ideological description. إِنَّمَا الْمُشْرِكُونَ النَّجَسِ فَلَا يَقْرَبُنَّ الْمَسْجِدَ الْحَرَامَ بَعْدَ عَامِهِمْ هَذَا But indeed the mushriks are toxic. So they are not allowed to come to the vicinity of Al-Masjid Al-Haram after this year. This ayah was revealed in the last year or two of the Prophet's mission. So after that the mushriks are not allowed into Mecca. And the mushriks, to make a long story short, the ayah in the Quran says, Inna shirka Shirk is a monumental injustice. So those mushriks who are involved in the institutions, governmental institutions, military institutions, economic institutions, financial institutions, these are the mushriks. They're not allowed into Mecca and into the area of the haram. But that doesn't mean that a homeless Christian or a homeless Jew or a homeless Hindu or a homeless whatever cannot come to Mecca. What happened? What happened in our history, the reason we can't see this very clearly, is because when the Umawis stole Islamic authority, the Umawi dynasty, what it did was it satisfied Muslim public opinion that if you pray and you fast and you pay your zakah and you go to the hajj, then, of course, and you say your shahada, then you are, and you do these very conscientiously, very carefully, very devotedly, etc. You are a perfect Muslim. Lost in this type of history on the majority of Muslims is the fact that many Muslims in their prayer in a salah al-Ibrahimiyyah say Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ali Ibrahim وَبَارِكَ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ وَآلِ مُحَمَّدٍ كَمَا بَارَكْتَ عَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمٍ وَآلِ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ This is an integral part of the salah for many Muslims. But absent, just like when they read the Qur'an, the meanings are absent. When they are uttering the words in their salah, the meaning is also absent. When you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad, kama sallayta ala Ibrahim wa ali Ibrahim. Al Ibrahim was the nucleus society. After Ibrahim was alien and a foreigner, the only place, the only atmosphere he had as a people and a community was his own family. But if this piece of history is absent, when we say Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad, then we have a gap here. What does that mean in practical terms? This was explained to us in practical terms when Imam al Hussein took issue with the wayward Umawi dynasty. He stood against What you may call today the secular, the early secularization, creeping secular, secularization of Islam. In the time of Allah's Prophet and in the time of the four rulers after Allah's Prophet, the person who gave the khutbah was the same person who ruled. But in the time of the Umawi dynasty and thereafter, we had schizophrenia, a schism in Muslim society. We had the class of ulama and the class of hukam. This doesn't exist. 
in real life, Islam with is, its Islamic definition, this a alim is a hakim. So Imam al Hussein, when he took issue, or, or let's rephrase that, when Al Muhammad took issue with the Umawis, they were sending out a message into future generation that this Islam cannot be split the way the Umawis did it. And so it's not enough to pray. It's not enough to go to fast. It's not enough to go to the Hajj physically. That's not enough. These have social, ideological meanings to them. And these meanings should not be absent. When we say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin, and then we say, wa ali Muhammad, what we are actually, what sh- we should actually be understanding is that the salutations and the invocation of prayers for the Prophet and for his descendants. With the possible exception of Zalimi, there may be people who say that they are from the Prophet's offspring. We had rulers in the Arabian Peninsula and in Jordan and in Iraq and and in Morocco and elsewhere. They say they are also descendants of the Prophet. The ayah says, as it, at the beginning, before all of this began, hundreds of years before this, Allah said to Ibrahim, as is, it is extended to the rest of the Prophets, لَا يَنَالُ عَهْدِ الظَّالِمِينَ My pledge does not include a ظَالِمِينَ Valimun are not fit, are not qualified to be a'imma, imams, leaders. So if we are not in the ritualistic, not in the cultural, not in the traditional way, if we know what we are saying, Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad, that al there stands on an equal par with al Ibrahim. To bring people out of alienation and have them sense that they belong. They belong to Mecca. They belong to Ibrahim. They belong to Ismail. They belong to Muhammad. They belong to the prophets of Allah. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon them. It's very important to realize this absent understanding. Because sometimes when someone says Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad They reflect something like sectarianism How does sectarianism How does it work itself into The innocent meanings of Ibrahim and Muhammad Al-Ibrahim and Al-Muhammad How did that come about? Where is this coming from? You've destroyed Muhammad and Al-Muhammad by sectarianism. You can't revive these meanings to tell humanity that Muhammad and Al-Muhammad are inclusive of everyone except the mushriks and al-zalimeen. You can't do that. You can't even tolerate a brother Muslim who is conditioned with ignorance you don't know how to approach them and the prophet of Allah may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his says al islamu ala khams shahadati an la ilaha illallah wa anna muhammadan rasulullah wa iqamis salah wa ita'iz zakah wa sawmi ramadan I think all of you understood these five foundations that Islam is built on. Now, if just give it a little thought, think just for a moment. The Prophet of Allah says, Islam is built 
on these foundations. Okay, you have the foundations. You pray, you fast, you go to the Hajj. That's the foundation. But where's Islam? Islam is the structure, the house that is built on these foundations. These foundations are not a substitute for Islam. But now, because of the Umawi indoctrination that has survived for 1400 years, people think this is Islam. We pray, we fast, we go to Hajj, etc. We are, this is Islam. And if they just listen, just all that is required, just listen closely. And Islam was built on these foundations. The opposition to Bani Umayyah and the Umawi dynasty was precisely to show people that the foundations are not Islam. But still we have 1400 years of hardwired traditions in our psychologies, in our cultures, in our communities, in our masajid, in Mecca itself. We have a task. Allahumma ja'alna min al-ladheena yastami'oona al-qawl fayattabi'oona ahsana. Aqoolu qawli hadha wa astaghfiru Allah li wa lakum. Ud'uhu subhanah wa antum ala yaqeenin bil-ijabah. Wa tubu ila Allah. Inna Allah tawabun rahim. Alhamdulillahi alladhi hada. صلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولنها والتقى Dear committed brothers and sisters We have in today's real world We have a leadership That understands what Islam stands for And as much as some people want to whisper about this leadership or want to talk about it behind closed doors, they don't even have the courage to ascend the minbar in the masjid and speak about an Islamic leadership in a country called Iran. Can't we just wake up people and look at the facts And then we have the extension of this Umawi nonsense. Umawi and Abbasi and etc. etc. nonsense. This is not to impugn the Muslims who lived during those early generations. Muslims are one thing and those who are ruling are something else. Lest someone get a sectarian interpretation of what we are trying to say. So now we have this ruling family in the Arabian Peninsula and this is all over the place. It's in the mainstream media, maybe not in the mainstream media here in the United States, but in the mainstream media in the Muslim East. It's in social media It's the talk of the town. And that is, in the past weeks, Saudi officials have been receiving Iraqi officials, political officials, statesmen, and religious officials, ulama. And there's been discussions going back and forth between the two sides. And part of those discussions, probably one of the most important parts, was that the Iraqi officials were approached by Saudi officials. The crown prince and others And they were told, if you could use your good offices to solve this issue between the kingdom and the Islamic Republic. 
I don't know the news sources that you rely upon. I know some probably are very hesitant to speak about this issue. But the truth has to be said or as much of it that we understand has to be divulged. So the interior minister of Iraq after having visited Saudi Arabia and after having been told verbally this nothing was in writing this was verbal communication use your good offices so as a go-between between Riyadh and Tehran that was also said to others who visited that kingdom the interior minister of Iraq goes to Tehran and makes a public statement. This was supposed to be confidential. It's one of these things that, you know, is just between me and you. It's off the record. Don't tell anyone about it. He goes to Tehran and he says the Saudis approached us, the Iraqis, to do as much as we can to solve the outstanding issues between the two countries. And then all of a sudden the Saudi officials go ballistic. They denied that this ever happened, that they asked the Iraqis to try to solve the outstanding issues between the two countries. They denied that. And they did it in what atmosphere? In the past few weeks, the Saudis have been gesturing goodwill towards the Islamic Republic. For the first time, these Saudi officials, for the first time, they invited a Shi'i, Iraqi, Islamic scholar, Sayyid Muqtada al-Sadr, to go to Saudi Arabia, pay them official visit. And there was a celebratory reception of a Sayyid al-Sadr in Saudi Arabia. I don't think he went there with any conditions. I don't think any conditions were placed upon him. But I think the larger picture is the following. Just like imperialist Zionist policies are trying to undermine the Islamic Republic from within, meaning we will support those with Islamic tendencies who are not revolutionary, who are not hardliners, who are not uh, uncompromising, who are principalists, we will support any other Islamic faction against those. And then once we're finished with them, we will go down a notch and we will support those who are against this new class of rulers until they reach their objective of undoing an Islamic orientation that understands Islam in the context of Al-Ibrahim and Al-Muhammad. The same thing they're trying to do in Iraq. It is known that those who are the ultimate decision makers in Iraq the statesmen, such as the ministers and the prime minister, etc., they are more or less in line with the policies and the strategies of the Islamic Republic. So now, the Saudis, on behalf of their Zionist imperialist masters, they are trying to make inroads inside of Iraq. We will support all of those ulama all of those officials who have an Islamic orientation, who have spent their lives sacrificing for Islam and studying Islam, etc., we will support them as long as they are against the current rulers in Iraq. It's a parallel strategy here and there. So Saudi Arabia now, in just in the past few weeks, have accepted more or less the Muslims from Iran going to the Hajj on the terms that the officials in Iran 
presented, not on Saudi terms. That was a concession. Another concession is the Saudis opened a borderline between Iraq and Saudi Arabia so that the Iraqi Hujjaj now can ride all their way to Mecca and Al Medina. Another concession, even though there's not a functioning Islamic Republic embassy in Saudi Arabia, so the Saudis accepted 10 Islamic Republic officials to go to the Arabian Peninsula, to Saudi Arabia, to Mecca and Al Medina without any strings attached, virtually. There's also talk of the Saudis having a consulate in Al Najaf. We may have mentioned this previously. And then all of a sudden, after going through these motions, and this shows you how reactionary and how confused Saudi officials are, they want to do away with all of that. This is, these are the types of people now who have possessed Mecca and Al Medina. I want to draw your attention to the fact that there are two significant stations during the performance of the Hajj. One of them is As-Sa'i Bayn As-Safa Wal Marwa, that those seven stretches of jogging between As-Safa and Al Marwa, which indicate the feelings of Hajar towards her dying baby. This is a survival effort. Another station in the Hajj is An-Nahar. On the 10th day of the Hijjah, there is the slaughter of the different animals that are presented as Hadi, animals for sacrifice. This is also for survival from water to high protein. This is how man survives. This is how man lives. And Mecca is beckoning the world. Those who are not living a normal life, barely surviving to know that Mecca is calling them. For your information, those who are ruling in Mecca and in Medina, and this is according to their own Ministry of Agriculture. These numbers come from the Saudi Ministry of Agriculture. It says they waste, Saudi Arabia wastes 13.3 billion dollars of refused food every year. The food that's collected from restaurants and dumped away the foods that are thrown out because of a lavish party of the rulers, the emirs and the princes and their families, all of this totals $13.3 billion. That is more than the total budgets of Somalia, Djibouti and Mauritania combined. Are these people observing the meanings of Hajj? when it is performed in their own land or in, their, in the country that they rule every year. What that amounts to is every individual, if we were to divide that number by the number of individuals living in that kingdom, every person is wasting 250 kilograms of food every year. This is at a time when people are dying of hunger and thirst. That compares to a hundred, and it's, num it's the number one country in the world wasting nutrition, foodstuffs, and food. The number one country. That is followed on the average advanced countries like 
European countries, the United States, Australia, these, the average amount of food that is wasted by every individual in that country is 115 kilograms. In the poor countries, the average wasted by one person in a year amounts to 11 kilograms. Compare these numbers, 11 kilograms for the poor countries, 115 kilograms for the advanced countries with the 250 kilograms by those who are living in the land of Bi'r Zamzam and Udhiyat Eid Al-Adha. The same thing can be said about the United Arab Emirates. Four billion dollars a year in waste. Absolute. How many people could have survived if this was not wasted away? Kuwait has one million tons of food wasted every year. Qatar has 1.4 million tons that are wasted every year. And if we know that there is also 20 million kilograms of food that have expired during the year, 20 million kilograms they throw away because the expiration date on this particular food item has lapsed. So it's, they say it's no longer good for consumption, so they throw it away. Remember, they are doing all of this. This is their internal vice. Add to that the wars that they are financing all around and killing innocent people in the tens of thousands, in the hundreds of thousands, displacing innocent people in the millions, in the tens of millions. Mecca stands for survival. Mecca stands for a home. And they are violating with their internal policies and their external policies everything that Mecca stands for. So what do you say if we continue like this and they tell us by the year 2050 the world is going to need 60% more food than it has today. And why is all of this, why is all of this off of the radar? No one mentions anything about it. No one. They get away with their crimes. They get away with everything they do. I will end, brothers and sisters, by a short narrative. I'm not going to mention the names. I'm not going to mention the countries. Because, unfortunately, I'm not saying this as concerns you personally who are here listening to me in the street. But there are many people around the world who tune into this khutbah and some of them may get some wrong impression. So for that reason, I will skip the names and the country. But there was a very well-known scholar who was performing his hajj. And this was years and years ago. And in a dream he had while he was in around al-masjid al-nabawi the prophet's masjid in al-madina the prophet came to him and told him when you go back home approach mr so and so and tell him that allah has accepted your hajj and the hajj of your wife and has built you a home next to mine meaning next to the prophet's home in paradise the second night the same person sees the same dream the third night the same person sees the same dream and it is said the prophet does not appear to anyone in their dream as a false person if he appears in your dream that's him so this person, being the scholar that he is, he understood this. He was anxious to go back home. When he went back home to his city, he, uh, his city uh, would welcome the hujjaj when they returned. He skipped that. 
He didn't want to. He was so concerned with what he saw in his dream and the Prophet speaking to him that his first priority was to go and see that person. So he knocks on his door, he opens the door, they greet each other, they welcome each other, etc. And to skip some of the details, uh, the person says, what brings you here? The hujjaj are still on the outskirts of the city and you just snuck in. He said, I have something to tell you, but I want to know why you could not go to the hajj. He said, my wife and I, we saved enough money to go to the Hajj. We did all our paperwork and a few days before we were to leave, my wife went out in the middle of the night and she saw a woman collecting trash, garbage, the rinds of watermelon. And my wife followed her she lived just next door and she watched her mix chop the rinds of watermelon into small pieces and mix them with dry bread and put some water on them and then there she had about four kids I think the oldest was eight years old she brought them and she tried to feed them the crumbs of the garbage she came home crying to me i told i asked her what's wrong what is it she explained to me exactly what happened and we were preparing to go to the hajj we gave all of what we had to go to the hajj to this woman my wife went to her in a disguised manner and gave her that money another version says it was the husband who knocked the door and when the door was open without anyone seeing he threw the money inside the house whatever the case is and that's why we could not go to the Hajj so at that point this scholar tells this person the dream that he saw the performance of that social duty was rewarded definitely more than those who make the physical trip to the Hajj. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ijtinaabah wa la taj'alhum ultabisan alayna wa ja'alna lilmuttaqina imama Allahumma ahdina fiman hadayt وعافنا فيمن عافيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد رب اجعلني مقيم الصلاة ومن ذريتي ربنا وتقبل دعاء ربنا اغفر لي ولوالدي وللمؤمنين يوم يقوم الحساب ربنا فاجعل أفئدة من الناس تهوي إليهم وارزقهم من الثمرات بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم ما يعظكم به 
إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي للصلاة حي للفلاة قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر